The Inside Learning Podcast is brought to you by the Learnovate Center. Learnovate's research explores the power of learning to unlock human potential. Find out more about Learnovate's research on the science of learning and the future of work at learnovatecenter.org. Welcome to the second season of the Inside Learning Podcast brought to you by the Learnovate Center here in Trinity College, Dublin. I'm your host, Aidan McCullen. Today's guest is a corporate scientist at 3M. She holds 75 patents for a variety of of innovations. She identifies new growth opportunities and is engaged in technology development and commercialization for sustainable industrial products across various markets. She is also author of the Heart of Science series, the Heart of Science Engineering Footprints, Fingerprints and Imprints and Engineering Fine Print. She was appointed 3M's first chief science advocate using her scientific knowledge, technical expertise and professional experience to advance science and communicate the importance and benefits of science in everyday life. And she is here to do that with us today on the Inside Learning Podcast. It is an immense pleasure to welcome Jayshree Seth. Thank you, Aidan. I'm uh, excited to be here. It is so good to have you on the show and I am so grateful for your time i know how busy you are i was like when i was reading out that introduction 75 patents and she writes these two books and she gets around to advocate uh, for the importance of stem but stem with a, a touch of difference which we'll get into today which is one of the reasons i really wanted you on the show because you are a category busting paradigm shifting engineer i thought we'd start with how you became such a leader in your field, how you became such an advocate with a particular focus on your learning journey on the way and the many hurdles you had to overcome to achieve that journey. Uh, Sure. So a little bit about my journey. I um, grew up in uh, northern India uh, in a town uh, in the foothills of the uh, majestic Himalayas and the banks of the mighty river Ganges Canal. It was just a beautiful place. But I was surrounded by scientists and engineers, actually. Uh, My dad was a professor uh, in our uh, university town. There was a prestigious engineering institution right there. And as a result, everyone aspired for their kids to become engineers. Uh, Interestingly, their sons and daughters. And it was primarily because Uh, The girls would uh, not have to leave home then, you know, because you could get educated right there and become an engineer. Um, I never thought of myself as the um, quote unquote engineering type, Uh, you know, that stereotypical image of those who break apart their toys and tinker with their tools. Um, I was more interested in the human context and how I could help to make the world a better place. And I was drawn to fields where I could sense this Um, contextual pull was strong. And as a student, I honestly just didn't quite see that connection with engineering fields. And uh, in a town full of engineers, we didn't have any women role models. Maybe that would have helped. I don't know. Uh, But I was good at school. I've always liked working hard and and, uh, doing the best I can. So pretty much with that strong encouragement from my parents and the uh, surroundings, I ended up in engineering. But far, far away from home because I did not secure admission in the hometown school. But I did fine. And in looking back, you know, not particularly because I had a strong interest in engineering, but because I had a stronger inclination to succeed. And I was willing to learn and to strive. 
and the skills that I developed that taught me how to survive and thrive in a new environment. Uh, and it was during the final year of my uh, chemical engineering program, many of the students were uh, applying for graduate school in the U.S., and I decided to apply. And honestly, it was really in the spirit of competition with the boys in my class. Uh, and I got accepted, and here I was in U.S. for graduate school. And I ended up on a theoretical project for my master's. And uh, it was then when it really kind of caught up with me, and I realized my heart just wasn't in it. I couldn't see a connection and, and longed for this feeling of congruence with my uh, mindset, with my community-oriented goals. So I actually switched my fields from my master's to PhD, and it is um, typically not done. I mean, I don't know how it is now, but it wasn't common back in the day. But that switch led me to a more supportive advisor, a more collaborative environment, and into a project that I could really build a context around. And that became the switch to light a fire. I just hadn't realized that that's what I needed. And once I had it, there was no stopping me. So this experience showed me again that with you know, grit and determination, it is possible to reinvent oneself, especially if you feel inspired. And this mindset is what then led me to jump at the opportunity to join 3M after I was offered a full-time job. Uh, following a summer internship that I had done there. And I joined despite knowing that it would be in an area I knew absolutely nothing about, <laughs> disposable diapers. I had never seen one. In fact, I joke that for my PhD, I worked on diamond-like films. So I literally went from diamonds to diapers. Uh, and today I'm at the highest level, corporate scientist at 3M. The, it's the highest level that you can attain. I have been inducted into our Science and Technology Hall of Fame at 3M, the Carlton Society. I've been honored by the Society of Women Engineers with their Highest Achievement Award. And uh, the reason why I mention all that is for a kid who started out thinking they were not the science type, I've done remarkably well. And I want others to think about what I think about each and every day. How many ideas, how many innovations, how many students and how many scientists are we missing out on because of the way we teach, we track, we typify, we train, and even talk about STEM? I wasn't your typical content-focused learner. It was the context that inspired me. And I had to search for it. But when I found it, that was really the entry point for me, if you will. And it has really become a cornerstone for my career. And I just talk about it and I live it. It's so important what you do, and it was w much beyond the books and the company you work for and the 75 patents that you've created that I wanted you on the show because 3M is right to put you in this position of advocacy for the planet. It's not just about the company, and yes, the company benefits for sure, but one of the things that I think is so important is that others see it and I was really interested in the language you used there of the environment enabled you to grow. And when we talk about innovation, for example, it's like the environment is nearly more important than the thinking, the environment where the seeds can grow and flourish, etc. And I wondered to myself as I read about you, and now as I listened to you, about how do you then pass that on to your own daughter? And how do you create the environment for her to flourish? where she can believe that she can be whatever she wants to be. And despite the way society kind of, as you said, typifies people and puts them in their categories, how do you 
undo that and allow her to be herself and flourish and grow whichever way she'd like to. Yes, it's a very interesting. And as uh, two STEM parents, both me and my husband are chemical engineers with PhDs, um, the environment at home uh, was definitely something where the kids understood. I have a son and a daughter. Interestingly, uh, for my son, content was enough. We're going to go to robotics. Yay, we're going to go for robotics. For my daughter, it was always why, why, why. And she also noted that, um, you know, science was for nerds, for geeks, um, did not want to go to the after school science programs. And that's when I realized, you know, for her, it is all about context, just like it was for me. And so it became more about tapping into her curiosity. A simple example I'll give is uh, one of the chores that uh, uh, my husband asked her to do was to pick up the pine cones. We live in what used to be a Christmas tree farm. So we have all these evergreen trees and pine cones. And why do I have to pick them up? Well, you know, the, they hit the lawnmower and it doesn't look nice if they lay there. The, you know, why, do, why, why doesn't the grass grow under the tree? And then it'll hide the pine cones and then nobody will complain that they don't look good. And, and my husband was quick to point out, why do you think the grass doesn't grow under the evergreen trees? And she said, well, do you not know? And we said, no, we don't. Let's find out, though, because we can find out. Well, it turns out it's because of the pine needles that are acidic. They fall in the soil and now the acidic soil doesn't allow you to grow the grass. And so that's why the pine cones show. And I was like, well, what can you do to fix that? Because then you won't have to pick up the pine cones, maybe. And so she was excited to do this. That became a science project, how to fix the soil and, and change the pH. She learned about pH and how to measure it and uh, took on this responsibility and became a science project. And so you didn't have to go into it with, you've got to learn science, you've got to learn about pH, you've got to do this. It was more about that problem-solving approach and the context. So... We've really tried to encourage that and take it where her curiosity goes. And that has been the way uh, to sort of uh, inculcate that love for learning and uh, whatever they choose. So my daughter has joined college, has not picked uh, science, uh, um, partly because it was like mom and dad are both scientists, so I can't do that. But I can assure you that that scientific mindset and the critical thinking and the questioning and all of that is still there, which I'm happy about because at the end of the day, we need more people in, in social sciences who understand how STEM works. And that's where she's going and more sociology. So I think the key in there from a learning perspective is we're not all created the same way. And we all have different ways to inspire our own self. And sometimes we just have to listen to us and those around us more to understand what it is that it takes. And it takes effort. What a wonderful story. And I'll never ever, I'll never pass a, a pine tree or a Christmas tree again without thinking of you and that beautiful story as well. So thank you for giving us that gift and that piece of knowledge as well. But going back to education, because I mentioned again, your 75 patents and your incredible career with 3M. You've been there for 30 years, three decades. And I found that remarkable in today's day and age where there's so much competition for talent. And you must have had so many people come to you, try and poach you to join their own organizations, whether it be startups, board memberships, et cetera, et cetera. And one topic we've just explored on the show 
a number of times is the idea of transient careers as Rachel Romer Carlson, who was the CEO of Guild Education, she used to call this concept, we're seeing the death of the four and 40, which was go to college for four years and then work in the same company for 40. So my parents, many people who listen to their parents would have done that. But that, we're seeing the death of that. And I found it remarkable that you have thrived in 3M for 30 years, which says a lot about 3M. And it says a lot about you and your approach to lifelong learning, because you're going to have to do that to keep yourself engaged. You obviously don't have a mind that just settles on things. You're constantly thinking, constantly coming up with new projects, etc. So the question is, for those people listening, individuals listening, how do they approach lifelong learning? And then on the flip side, what can a company do in order to keep people engaged in lifelong learning? Yes, um, it will be 30 years next year. And uh, and I think you're right. It's about me and about 3M. And in looking back, I can say I had learned a few things about myself. I needed a culture of empowerment. I needed collaborative peers. And I needed a communal context. And when I was at 3M as a summer intern, I must have realized somewhere deep down that this sure seems like a company that has a culture of empowerment and emphasis on collaboration and has the communal context of improving lives. So really, those three things made it a perfect fit for me. And I stayed because I could listen, I could learn, and I could lead from my own rung of the ladder. And we have a very strong focus on problem solving and uh, innovation for our customers. And we have tremendous depth in 51 different technology platforms. And over the almost three decades that I've been here, I've worked on many of our platforms. I've worked in multiple market areas. I've worked in various project types. And I've held a variety of roles. And even after almost 30 years, I'm inspired to apply our science to improve lives, whether it is in industrial, whether it's in transportation, if it's in electronic, healthcare, consumer. I mean, most people know us by our post-it notes uh, through our consumer business or now through our masks, through our uh, safety and industrial business. But there's so much we are into. And that ability to work on all these different areas and solve problems for customers in very different, um, you know, fields and to be able to understand the market trends in, in vastly different uh, arenas for somebody like me who's extremely curious, wants to problem solve, is agnostic really of what it takes to solve those problems it's a great place. Uh, and I'm excited every day at the prospect of unlocking the power of, uh, you know, people, ideas and science so we can reimagine what is possible. That is our purpose. And it is inspiring to me. And be it of my work on science-based innovation or my work in science advocacy. And we have many, many ways and venues for formal and informal learning, whether it's about your functional role, your development, or your leadership. And I can tell you, when I joined, I took courses on adhesives because I knew nothing about adhesives. And here I was joining the company to work on adhesives. So think about the empowerment uh, and think about the uh, trust that the company has in your ability to solve problems. And I learned through working with experts. I had a chance to develop other skills in my role in, in, in technical leads, I have been project leader, I was also a black belt, and all those experiences give you leadership development. Um, and then other informal roles, informal roles, I, I led the Asian Employee Resource Network at 3M, I participated on CEO's Inclusion Council, 
Um, I serve on the Advisory for Women Leadership Forum. So there's ample opportunity for you to grow your network, to listen, to learn, to lead and influence while you hone your skills. And that is really the secret sauce. You know, I get asked that a lot. Um, you know, why 3M and why so long? And how do they do that? And how do they keep that spirit of innovation alive? I tell them that, you know, you need these in ingredients. You need to foster creativity and innovation in a corporate setting and create that learning environment. So ingredient one, in my view, is the expectation. You know, unless a person is highly intrinsically motivated, most people deliver better when there is a general expectation. And this expectation can change the way we think and operate. And at 3M, there is an expectation that we will all be innovative. That's just an expectation. Then we have resources and encouragement to take risk. We feel the freedom to be more creative, you know, in our own way. There's opportunity to learn, to collaborate, to lead and implement our ideas. Uh, there's associated reward and recognition for successful value creation. And that further inspires you to innovate. And above all, there is the socialization of the concept of being innovative and its important place in our culture. It's linked to rewards and recognition, and that socialization helps to sustain it. So I think those are the key elements that have helped me stay because these are important for fostering and preserving that successful culture of innovation. And I actually say, if you don't do these things, it would be a mistake. It actually spells errors. E is for expectation, R for resources, R for risk-taking, O for opportunity, uh, R for rewards, and S for socialization. So uh, I know that innovation is often reduced to a buzzword, but inculcating, maintaining, and sustaining a true culture of innovation takes just that. It takes innovation. And I think we do it well, and that's why people like me just absolutely love it. I love your acronyms. You are an acronym aficionado. You are brilliant at acronyms and you talk about them all the time. But I thought because of I've researched some of your events that you speak at because you regularly speak at conferences and deliver keynotes and indeed in your books, you offer lots of acronyms, but you're also a quote collector. And uh, I thought about one of the many keynotes that he offered. And in this keynote, you give a quote and then unpack skills for the future after those quotes and i thought you get delivered many of those and i thought we will only have time today for three so these are skills for the future that are so important and what i'll do is i'll tee you up each time with a quote and then i'll let you unpack them and then i'd love to come back to one of those beautiful acronyms that you have coined and it's not STEM, and it's not STEAM, as everybody else knows, science, technology, engineering, art, and math. It's STEM with a H in there. So I'll leave our audience stew a little bit and wonder what that stands for, and we'll come back to that. But let's start off with the quotes. And one of the wonderful ones that you talk about, and it's clear that you've studied his work, comes from Leonardo da Vinci. And he said, principles for development of a complete mind. Study the science of art. Study the art of science. Develop your senses. Especially learn how to see. Realize that everything connects to everything else. I thought that would be a way to tee you up for one of the many skills for the future. Yes, um, that brings back memories of my world skills keynote. Uh, it was actually in Kazan, Russia. 
And it was about skills that I think are critical for the future. And that was in uh, 2019. And I know the world has changed since then uh, a lot, uh, in a lot many ways. But I think these skills are more relevant than ever before because of what we have lived through in the last two plus years. So yes, study the science of art and art of science. And the reason why it is so relevant is that many critical advancements that will shape our landscape will be at the confluence of different fields. I think there's no arguments about that. So it will require breakdown of traditional thinking and silos. And so the skill is to be able to train your mind to see the commonality between seemingly um, different realms uh, like art and science, to see the uncommon connections and to connect and build on those connections. In fact, we talk about this a lot at 3M. Um, believe it or not, one of my first products at 3M for diapers was an idea that came to me from the work I did as a summer intern in the area of abrasives. Now, who would think about putting baby diapers and strong abrasives together? But there it was, a very uncommon connection that solved a very common problem. And I had my first product. So looking for uncommon connections can also be learned behavior. And that's what I wanted to provoke the audience to think about when I said art of science and science of art. There are so many quotes. I had to really del be deliberate about picking these quotes because the skills you talk about are so, so important for skills for our children and indeed for the people who are working today because the world has changed so much. And the next skill comes from a quote by John Dewey, the American philosopher and educational reformer who said, the interaction of knowledge and skills with experience is key to learning. Yes, uh, the right skill is really to be able to strike a balance, right, between knowledge and experience. And that's what really advances learning. So this is truly about know-how and knowledge. You know, gain the knowledge, the data and the facts and the information, but then try to practice and master the know-how, which is the knowledge of how to do something. And it plays in all different arenas. I can give you an example of leadership development. You can do all the trainings and courses and seminars and lectures, but nothing like going out in the world and solving real problems. Uh, an example is, is actually my 3M leadership training, where I was in Ghana, Africa for two weeks through 3M, working with an organization to improve their strategic plans so a great opportunity to practice leadership skills in an area I knew nothing about, a country I don't know much about, and with 3M people, many of whom I hadn't met before. So incredible experience of balancing of the knowledge and the know-how and learning with humility what the situation needs and, and problem solving with gravity what the conditions demand and using ingenuity that that being that resource constrained warrants, but that really brought that training to life. Magnificent. And then if you think about that with what you said earlier on about the context, even your daughter is like why, giving people the why and then the opportunity to practice the skills that they've learned maybe in the classroom is actually how learning really beds in and takes hold. I absolutely love that quote. The next is inspired by a quote by the famous Russian ballerina Anna Pavlova. And she said, success depends in a very large measure upon individual initiative and exertion and cannot be achieved except by a dint 
of hard work. Yes, I, I picked that quote not just because I was in Russia, but also because I truly believe in the power of individual initiative. Um, I think initiative is the imperative. I, if I look at uh, this moment in time, you know, for innovation, for imagination, for inspiration, you know, many things off start with the with the motivation, the drive, and vision of a single person to work hard to achieve something. And, uh, you know, it's easy to wait for others to do something. It's always others who need to take care of stuff. Why aren't others doing this or that? And, and we all fall prey to that. But then you have to ask a simple question. Uh, what can I do? What can I do? Uh, I'll give you an example. When the uh, social justice uh, sort of reawakening happened with the uh, George Floyd incident right here in Minnesota, we all felt this sense of distress at an individual and collective level and, and, and a desire to fix. But these are, are, are complex problems. They don't have easy solutions. Uh, and, and I was just thinking about it and I thought, well, science and scientists and professionals in STEMs, they have such a profound impact in shaping our future. And, and look at these fields. They don't have enough diversity. So what can I do? And I, I came up with this idea. And shortly thereafter, I had a book. And it is essentially a compilation of all my essays on various topics, you know, about science and innovation and leadership. And all proceeds from the sales of my book go to a scholarship for underrepresented minority women in STEM. And it's administered by the Society of Women Engineers. And we already have a scholar, a young Black woman who started mechanical engineering at Georgia Tech from the sales proceeds. So it's amazing. One person can make a difference. It just takes that initiative. And then amazingly, people join. And it's only possible because people bought the book. And that's how we were afford, able to afford the scholarship. So that is the power of taking individual initiative. Others will join, but somebody's got to take that first step. It must be so rewarding. Beyond all your other achievements, that probably one is one of the best. I'm sure it is. And it brings us to our last one, which is very much infused into everything you do. And this is your own variation of not STEM, not STEAM, but STEM. And this talks to much of the work that you've done and what you've written about in your books as well. Over to you to explain this beautiful term. Thanks. I, I am delighted that it resonates with you, Aiden. It is important to never forget the human element in all we do. Uh, the human element, it's about society and sustainability. It's about seeing the big picture through that lens of humanity. Yes, in all its diversity, but also all its unity. And the pandemic has clearly shown that tackling today's biggest uh, uh, scientific and uh, technological challenges, they will require not just the ability to think critically, but also to be able to apply it within the human context. So to have the impact that science can truly have lessons in the humanities, you know, the study of human society and human culture, will be crucial. In many ways, STEM subjects focus on certainty and a quest for answers, and the humanities focus on dealing with the uncertainty and a drive for questions. You know, it's like where STEM seeks to analyze, the humanities can help to synthesize. And it is especially important for the public perception of science. So we at 3M actually do a survey to understand the global sentiment around science. And based on the results, it is clear that understanding of social sciences and humanities will be a critical skill for scientists. 
Uh, actually, I invite your listeners to check out all the results at 3m.com slash science index. It is fascinating to see what the public perception is and how and why it has changed. So I really think the ability to meaningfully engage, to think critically, to listen empathetically, to communicate and collaborate effectively, they can all be enhanced with humanities. So I can give you my spiel. The real shtick is stem. It's the real skill. It is the integration of science, humanities, technology, engineering, and math. And uh, like you said, I write a lot about these topics and you can find it in my books. They are uh, available on Amazon. Um, it truly is what uh, crystallizes everything that I think about in my own journey and what I think is important for other people's uh, journey in, in, in the area of STEM uh, is the integration of humanities with science, technology, engineering, and math. It's such important work, and it's been such an honor having you on the show. And for people who want to find out more about you, contact you perhaps, where can they find you? LinkedIn, etc. Where Where do you hang out most on the social platforms? LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn. I haven't quite figured out uh, Twitter, and uh, my kids are embarrassed if I put anything on Instagram. So, <laughs> so <yeah. laughs> You're not alone. You're not alone. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. 3M's first chief science advocate, author, keynote speaker, and polymath, Jay Shri Saith. Thank you for joining us on the Inside Learning podcast brought to you by the Learnovate Center in Trinity College, Dublin. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me, Aidan. Don't go anywhere yet. There's another interview to come. This one is fantastic. It echoes so much of what we talked about with Jay Shri. And it brings it to life in a much more local way to us here in Ireland. Here's the intro. For a very long time, people thought it was impossible to run a mile under four minutes. Many got close, but no one could break the four minutes until 1954, when a young man named Roger Bannister clocked in at three minutes, 59.4 seconds. Once someone had broken the four minute milestone, excuse the pun, the floodgates opened. Bannister's own record was broken again with only two months of him breaking the four minutes. Within five years, it was broken again twice. When you think about it, so many people break such records all the time, but this goes way beyond sport. It goes into business, it goes into life, and it goes into society itself. Our guest today has done this for society. It is embarrassing to say that in over 430 years of the existence of Trinity College, there has never been a woman in the role of provost. She was the founder director of the SFI Research Center Connect. She is a STEAM champion. She is an engineer. She is a role model for so many. And it is such a pleasure to welcome her to the Inside Learning podcast. Provost of Trinity College, Professor Linda Doyle, welcome to the show. Thanks a million, Aidan. I think you're making me blush in the way you've introduced things there, I have to say. We're not on video, so it's you can hide the blushes, but you deserve it. And I, I was saying to you before we came on air, I'm I'm almost embarrassed. I'm I am embarrassed and I'm annoyed to have to say, point out the woman aspect of all this. And it was the same with Jay Shree that we both listened to as well. But thankfully, thanks to people like you and Jay Shree and many, many other great people were breaking this and were unraveling years of injustice, but also 
backwardness that had been in the society. So maybe we'll start there because this is something that we both agree on massively. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, the day I got elected, um, I did say, you know, um, that that this needs to be an ordinary feat. That you know, going forward, when somebody gets in, elected or gets a position of uh, of leadership like the provost role, that it shouldn't be something that we comment on as to what gender is occupying it. It just should be a natural thing. But maybe I just push back a little bit on the Roger Bannister effect. I think you're. It's really, really interesting effect, and I get what you're saying. But it doesn't kind of always happen in this front. And and the reason I say that is um, we had a very interesting lecture there recently for what's known as Trinity Monday here in Trinity about this woman, Avril Deverell. And she was the first woman barrister in you know, Ireland and the UK. She, she studied in Trinity. And, you know, the thing is, is that uh, though she made strides, it was like 10 and 20 and 30 years later before the next bunch of things happened. So sometimes when somebody breaks the mold, you can have the Roger Bannister effect, as you talked about. And other times you've people going, we've done that now. Let's go back to the way we were. And, you know, I want to show, make sure that the latter doesn't happen. I do hope that this is the start of a real change that we've had enough of the tick the box uh, effect that has happened that happens in leadership and businesses all the time we see this all the time and it's purely to satisfy shareholders or customers or clients i i really feel those days are over i don't think there's any hiding anymore i think covid has been an accelerant for all these things so hopefully i i hope you do too i hope this is real i share your your optimism i have to say and you know maybe we we've had a lot of graduates one little story we have had a lot of graduations obviously catching up after covid so we've done 80 something graduations since last august and in trinity the graduations are in latin and the group of people who sit at the top at the table at the top are called the caput and somebody said to me one day, um, oh, my goodness, it's the first time ever we've had an all-female caput. So I was there with the chancellor, um, who's Mary McLeese, and, 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 and another woman. And I actually responded, I didn't notice. And to me, that was a good thing because, you know, it just it, when something becomes normal, you just don't notice it. And, and, and I think you think, oh, this is just the way it should be. So, so I, I, I share your optimism in, 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 for the future. You're a polymath in many, many ways. You've such a diverse skill set and experiences, etc. And that's just keep, as I said, I haven't talked to you in about six years. And I've just seen the so many things, new feathers on the cap, you must need some new caps at this stage. But the reason I say that is, you have diversity of thought from all those different experiences. And that's one of the key things. I think many businesses miss this, that when you have diversity in your workforce, in your leadership team, you have diversity of thought, and everybody's craving creativity and innovation. And this is the way to get it. I couldn't agree with you more. I agree with you 100%. I think in an institution like our own, we have much more to do to ensure that diversity is, is prominent. But one thing we are getting better at is that diversity of discipline. So um, you, you mentioned it yourself. I mean, I'm a great believer of bringing different subject matters together from the STEM, from the art humanities, the social science, from the health sciences. And, and, and that diversity of thought and that creativity that you're talking about that you need both to lead projects and both to find the kind of solutions this world needs required, that kind of uh, multidiscipline perspective, that multi-view 
uh, that multicultural perspective. And I think that's really, really important. That aspect is a lovely segue to the great interview we both listened to with Jay Shree. And Jay Shree is so like you. She's broken the mold in so many ways and making it normal. You're a STEAM champion. I mentioned that in the intro. People know what that means. Science, technology, engineering, arts and math. And the arts part is so important to you. I loved what Jay Shree introduced in her book, which was STEM, which was the humanities as well. And I think it's something we both shared. I think she's an amazing woman. I mean, I've never met her personally myself, but uh, her work and the interview I listened to, oh, it's really, really brilliant. And she's very, very inspiring. So for me, when I talk about the arts, I, I do mean the arts and humanities. And in fact, I was professor of engineering and the arts before I, I, I became provost. And to me, it's incredibly important that you have different disciplines coming together and challenging your mindset and, and your processes. So, so I, I would very much agree with her. I have a few things to add. I love STEM, but I don't think everything should be in the service of STEM. And sometimes when you add something in like art or humanities or whatever, they have a relevance in and of themselves, not just because they're connected with STEM. So for me, absolutely brilliant, absolutely key to have different disciplines together. But it's also absolutely key that they're acknowledging in and of themselves to have great value. And in the world we live in at the moment, there is much more priority given to STEM. So I just say that in passing. But I also say I wouldn't have been able to do the research I did without the kind of critical response from creative arts practitioners who look at technological development and don't quite accept it the way I would as an engineer and really make me question. And to me, that's for the betterment of everything. It brings that diversity of thought that you were speaking about earlier. I wanted to just see if there was anything in her story that you could relate to in regards to the challenges, for example. And we're seeing, as we both share the optimism, the end of this era. But at the same time, it's probably useful to help people who are looking to you as a role model to go, look, you can expect these type of things. Don't let it stop you. You can get through this. So when I listened to Joy Shree, there were a couple of things that stood out to me that are helpful in what she said. And there's a couple of things I would add. So I thought it was very interesting the way she spoke about her parents and her parents encouraging her to be an engineer. For me, my parents didn't know what an engineer was, but they were equally encouraging because they had no blind spots as to a woman should do this and a man should do the other thing. So I think no matter what way you come at it, I think you being in an environment where the people around you encourage you and say, you know, you can do anything, I think is really important. One of the other things I loved about Tracy, she, she wasn't afraid to talk about failure and she used that to spur her on. And she had this great sentence called, you should be you. And that to me is just so powerful. And I say this particularly in relation to leadership. So we often mimic or ape what we deem to be strong leadership. And strong leadership can look a particular way, especially I think if you're looking at men in leadership. And I think my message would be that you can lead in all sorts of different ways and you find one that's true to yourself. And I would echo what Jay Shee said, that you should be you. And then maybe a final thing to add, I would say that there are more opportunities to lead than people to put up their hands to be leaders. And I would encourage people to always give it a go, put your hand up and say, I'll try that. An absolutely wonderful way to leave a message of encouragement for everybody listening. And no matter what gender you are, no matter where you're coming from, that is so encouraging. It was an absolute pleasure. And thank you so much for your time. I know you're so busy. Provost of Trinity College Dublin, Professor Linda Doyle. 
Thank you for joining us on the Inside Learning Podcast brought to you by the Learnovate Centre here in Trinity College. Thanks a million, Aidan. You're great. Inside Learning is brought to you by the Learnovate Centre in Trinity College, Dublin. Learnovate is funded by Enterprise Ireland and IDA Ireland. Visit learnovatecentre.org to find out more about our research on the science of learning and the future of work.